Namaste, Sarasmati, Neve, Gauravani, Pacharni, Nivasasis, and Nivadi, Paskajade, Satarne, Vande, Ham, Shri Guru, Shri Utapada, Kamalam, Shri Guru, Vaishnavam, Shashi, Rupam, Sarvajatam, Sahagana, Raghunatam, Bitam, Tam, Sajivam, Sadvaitam, Sadvadutam, Padijana, Sahita, Krishna, Jaitanya, Devam, Shri Radha, Krishna, Padam, Sahagana, Ravita, Shri Panchakapa, Jubista, keep us in the Via Vitapati, Tanam, Pagane, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya October 30th, 2015, Spike Class from Hawaii, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 7, Further Inquiries by Vidura Text 10. Yet Artena Vimamusya, Pumsa Atma Viparyaya, Pratiyata Upadrushta, Vashiras Chedanadika Yet Thus Artena A purpose or meaning Vina Without Amusya Of such a one of the living entity Atma Viparyaya upset about self-identification upset about self-identification Pratiyate so appear so appear Upadrastu of the superficial onlooker of the superficial onlooker swashiraha swashiraha of his own head of his own head chedana adika chedana adika cutting off cutting off muted unmuted Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The living entity is in distress regarding his self-identity. He has no factual background, like a man who dreams that he sees his head cut off. Purport. Actually, this first uh, two sentences, Prabhupada's writing about his own experience as a child. Purport. A teacher in school once threatened his pupil that he would cut off the pupil's head and hang it on the wall so that the child could see how his head had been cut off. The child became frightened and stopped his mischief. Similarly, the miseries of the pure soul and the disruption of his self-identification are managed by the external energy of the Lord, which controls those mischievous living entities who want to go against the will of the Lord. Actually, there is no bondage or misery for the living entity, nor does he ever lose his pure knowledge. In his pure consciousness, when he thinks a little seriously about his position, He can understand that he is actually subordinate 
to the mercy of the Supreme, and that his attempt to become one with the Supreme Lord is a false illusion. Life after life, the living entity falsely tries to lord it over material nature and become the lord of the material world, but there is no tangible result. At last, when frustrated, he gives up his material activities and tries to become one with the Lord and speculate with much jugglery of words, but without success. These activities are performed under the dictation of the illusory energy. The experience is compared to the experience of having, of one's having his head cut off in a dream. The man whose head has been cut off also sees that his head has been cut off. If a person's head is severed, he loses the power to see. Therefore, if a man sees that his head has been cut off, it means that he thinks like that in hallucination. Similarly, a living entity is eternally subordinate to the Supreme Lord, and he has this knowledge with him, but artificially he thinks that he is God himself, and that although he is God, he has lost his knowledge due to Maya. This conception has no meaning, just as there is no meaning to seeing one's head being cut off. This is the process by which knowledge is covered. And because this artificial, rebellious condition of the living entity gives him all troubles, it is to be understood that he should take to his normal life as a devotee of the Lord and be relieved from the misconception of being God. The so-called liberation of thinking oneself God is that last reaction of avidya by which the living entity is entrapped. The conclusion is that a living entity deprived of eternal transcendental service to the Lord becomes illusioned in many ways. Even in his conditional life, he is the eternal servant of the Lord. His servitude under the spell of illusory maya is also a manifestation of his eternal condition of service. Because he has rebelled against the service of the Lord, he is therefore put in the service of the maya. He is still serving, but in a perverted manner. When he wants to get out of service under material bondage, he next desires to become one with the Lord. This is another illusion. The best course, therefore, is to surrender unto the Lord and thus get rid of the illusory maya for good as confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 7.14 Daiviyeshi gunamayi mama maya durataya mam eviye prapajente mayam etam turantite Today's verse, yad artena vimamushya pumsa atma vipariyaya pratiyata upadrastu swashiras chedanadika The living entities in distress regarding his self-identity he has no factual background like a man who dreams that his head, that he sees his head cut off. So this verse is spoken by Maitreya in response to Vidura's question about what we are doing here. How is it that the pure soul is illusioned? And as we've been speaking on these verses, this is the, is the question. It is the essential question. It is the uh, root doubt of those who take up uh, spiritual life. But we could say not only among the Vaishnav tradition but uh, or among the Gaudiya Vaishnav tradition, it is the root problem in any religious system. Why are we here? Why is there suffering? Uh, why don't we have a perfect world and a, and a perfect body and a perfect situation? It is the only logical argument of the atheists against the existence of God or against the existence of a benevolent God. So this is really the question. Uh, the problem is that it's a question which cannot be fully answered satisfactorily until one experiences the answer for oneself. So why is it that we're suffering and that we're illusion? Not just why we're suffering in terms of, you know, why don't I have any money in the bank right now? Or, or why did I break my leg in a car accident? 
not just those specific, but in general, why why am I illusioned? Why aren't I in my natural position? So this verse is giving one explanation. It is not the only explanation that's given in the Shastra. And we're going to look at, at six different ex- explanations for suffering uh, briefly that are given in the Shastra, focusing on the one that's given today by Maitreya. And then with those explanations, how would one go about solving suffering? All these explanations are given by Dharma the Bull in the first canto, but they're also given throughout the Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita, Chaitanya Charitamrita, etc. So the first is that we just don't know. It's just inscrutable. We, we can't figure it out. Of course, this argument that we just don't know why we're suffering is the main view of the agnostics. They just say, you know, we, we don't know. We don't know and we can't know. We have no way of knowing. And the Vaishnavas also agree with this answer to some extent. That when we're in illusion, we cannot really understand the cause of our own illusion. Here it's talking about seeing your own head cut off in a dream. So, of course, the dream, word dream is not in the, in the verse. But Srila Prabhupada's adding in a dream because in a waking state you cannot see your head cut off. Of course, in a sense, you once you leave the body, you can see with the subtle body that your head has been cut off, but you cannot see in an ordinary sense. In a, in a waking state, you cannot see with this the eyes of this body that your head has been cut off. This idea that the, the teacher said, and, I, and it's, it's amusing as a teacher because if we said anything like this as a teacher today, uh, we'd probably be arrested. But when Prabhupada was a child, the teacher said, if you don't behave, I'm going to cut off your head and hang it up at the front of the room for you to look at. And, and he became scared and, and he stopped his mischief. So that's not possible. You can't be sitting with your head cut off, seeing your head cut off. Even creatures that stay alive with their head cut off for some time, like chickens, they can't see that their head's cut off. Upadrista, to be able, dristas, to be able to see. You cannot see. So similarly, when we are in illusion, we cannot understand the cause of, of, of our suffering. When, when you have a dream, right, in a dream, uh, you could have your head cut off and see it be cut off. In waking life, it's not possible. In a dream, it's possible. But in a dream, you don't understand that you're dreaming, generally. Generally. When you dream, you think it's real. And you don't, the, the fact that there's some suffering just doesn't make sense to you. As soon as you understand, oh, it's a dream, If you come to a higher position, you can understand. But as long as you're in the state of thinking that the dream is real, you cannot understand why the suffering is taking place. It's something like when people want to study sleep, they study other people who are sleeping. You cannot study sleep when you are sleeping. When, When you're sleeping, you're not aware of your own sleep state. When you're dreaming, you're not generally aware that you are dreaming. Therefore, you cannot understand why the suffering is happening. So, therefore, we agree that when one is covered by illusion, one cannot really understand the sufferings. Like Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita about reincarnation, and he said, but people don't, they don't see how it's taking place. And the stronger the covering of the illusion, the less one can see it. When one is covered by ignorance, one doesn't have really any knowledge. One just knows how to do his job. You know, what's my job? (laughs) How do I sort out the candies at the factory or something? You know, how do I invest money at the bank? The, the knowledge doesn't go beyond that. And in the mode of passion, one just sees, oh, 
you know, here's a white person, here's a black person, here's an oriental person, here's a dog, here's a tree, and so forth. And only in the mode of goodness, when the covering is very slight, does one get some actual knowledge of the fact, oh, I, I'm dreaming and I'm suffering in a dream. So the fact that suffering is inscrutable to those who are tightly under illusion is one of the reasons why explaining about the situation of the jiva in this world, the covering of the jiva in this world, is so difficult to understand. When somebody's in that position, it's, they, they just don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's like if you entered into someone's dream and you, say, you could say to them, hey, you're, you're dreaming. And what, what do you mean I'm dreaming? <laughs> this is actually happening to me. We find this in our preaching, not only on the big esoteric level of why you're suffering, but when it comes to little things. You know, somebody is having a hard time with the little things in life, which loom to them as very large in the moment, as, as they do to all of us. You know, that when you have some disease and you're in terrible pain, or you've lost your money, or your, your spouse has cheated on you, or something, you know, you've lost your job your child has died, you know, when these things happen in life and someone comes to a preacher of Krishna consciousness and asks for help, that if we try to approach the topic by speaking about illusion, that this is not really happening, it's like, it, it's, they, they can't accept it. They, they don't want to hear it. In fact, they become angry. They say, don't, don't tell me this now. <laughs> you know, the, pretty much the only thing a person wants to hear in that situation is, oh, I'm so sorry that you're suffering, I'm here for you, um, you know, I care about you, and, and that's about it. Right? When, the, when we're wrapped up in the pain, to try to understand why we're suffering is almost impossible. So it's inscrutable, it can't be understood. And the only way to deal with inscrutable pain, the only way to deal with pain that you can't understand the why and you don't understand what's happening is to tolerate it to say as Solomon said this too shall pass to just to just bear with it there really isn't any other option of course that option is, is like that of the animal that doesn't understand what's happening and is just bearing with it. So to some extent, that is what's recommended by Krishna himself. That is what's recommended by Lord Brahma. Uh, that if, if you're covered by it and you can't get rid of the covering, you simply have to bear it. Another explanation for suffering is that suffering is caused by the laws of nature. Now this explanation is also one that Srila Prabhupada gives very often, that's given by the Shastra very often, that there's just, there's just the law, the way that nature works. There's birth, death, old age, and disease. There's adhyatmik, adhidaivik, adhibotik, miseries from the body and mind, miseries from other living entities, miseries from weather. Uh, it's just the way things are. It's a miserable world, and you, you, you have a lot of times devotees will simply give this explanation. Well, it's the material world, Prabhu. What do you expect? It's a place of suffering. Dukalayam Mashasvatam. Dukalayam. It's a, it's a suffering place. It's a place designed for suffering. You come to a suffering place, then you're going to suffer. You go to a liquor store, they serve liquor. You go to a flower store, they serve flowers. You go, you, you go to a suffering place, you get suffering. <laughs> And, and that's it, you know, you've come here, you're going to suffer. It's kind of like saying, why is it so miserable in the prisons? You know, it's interesting as far as the prisons, the people in general don't tend to be very 
compassionate or caring about suffering in the prison that's beyond the prisoners do. Now, we all know that rapes happen in prison. It's, it's a well-known fact that the prisoners rape each other. Right? We, we talk about how generally in the, in the world men rape women, but factually men also rape men. Occasionally women, uh, in various interesting ways, also rape men. But in the prisons, it's quite common for the men to be raping other men. And yet there's not a big outcry. Now people are not jumping up and down about it, or the guards abusing the prisoners, you know, far beyond their uh, limit. Well, there's some concern, people are concerned, but you don't find it to be a really big topic. You know, it's not the kind of thing, the politicians don't talk about it. Right now in America, we're gearing up for another presidential election, and you don't find it a topic. You find people say, oh, we have too many pre- people in prison, we have to rehabilitate the prisons, rehabilitate the prisoners, but you won't find very many people uh, campaigning to say, you know, we've got to stop the, the prisoner on prisoner rape, the guards raping the prisoners, the prisoners raping the prisoners, the guards beating the prisoners. Uh, why? Because people think, well, you know, hey, you've gone to prison, you should expect to suffer. I, I read an article about this one woman who was jailed for identity theft, and she was complaining about the conditions in the prison. She was complaining about the conditions on the ride to and from the courthouse, how she'd be shackled to a woman who was taller than she was, and and therefore her hand had to be up in the air for a half an hour. And Most people commenting on it said, well, you know, you shouldn't have stolen someone's identity. What do you expect? So this is the idea that suffering is due just generally. You know, that, well, you know, what do you expect? You're in the material world. There's going to be suffering. So well, how does one respond to this? One responds to uh, this cause also with this tolerance. Well, this is where I am. And this is what it's like where I am. And just like we uh, travel uh, all over the world, and when I'm, I'm traveling all over the world, I change cultures and climates and etc. And one goes from first world countries to second world countries to third world countries. And you know, I stayed with a family in, uh, in Indonesia out in the country where there was practically speaking no internet access. I couldn't take care of my, my basic uh, emails and my international service. And the way they bathed is they would fill up a big container in the bathroom with water and then you just pour that water over you and the, the water was, was not a very nice temperature and, and so forth. It was very rustic. And you know, nothing there, materially speaking, uh, nothing was very sophisticated. It was very nice in that we were eating the food that grew outside in the, in the garden. We were eating all natural, organic, locally grown food, etc. But as far as the amenities that one is used to in America, they were uh, grossly lacking. But one thinks, well, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm in, out in the country in Indonesia. I'm among people who are poor and, and simple. And they've lived this way. You know, we wanted to wash the clothes. Then you pulled up water from the well. You actually put a bucket in the well. It wasn't even like a pump, like you find mostly in India. But you put the bucket in the well, and you pulled it up, and you filled up your wash tub with water, and you washed by hand outside. And you just think, well, this is, this is what it is. This is the way it is. And, and therefore, I just have to tolerate. So if one thinks one's suffering is just due in general to being in material nature, one has to tolerate. And of course, another reaction to this 
would be liberation, which Srila Prabhupada talks about extensively in this purport. That one thinks, okay, well, I'm suffering because I'm in the material world. It's just a general place of suffering. Everybody who's here just suffers, and so let me get liberation. And liberation they define as becoming one with God, merging with God. Prabhupada said this is another illusion. This is not really the solution because it's not our, our real position, Jivaraswarupaya Krishna Nichidasha. We're we're a servant. And he points out that even in the material world we're a servant. Right? How many hours do we spend every day serving our body, making sure it gets enough sleep, enough food, that it's clean, that it has clothes, that it has furniture. I mean we are serving our body uh, probably the majority of the day. We're engaged in serving the body. And then we're serving the mind. The mind says become angry, the mind says become greedy, become upset. Become... And we say yes, sir, and, and we follow along with the mind. And we are serving, of course, our family, our friends, our employer, our government, and so many things. So this idea that liberation means simply to stop service is also an illusion. Prabhupada compares it to and this sick person who's in a hospital bed and they're eating intravenously or they're eating hospital food and they're uh, using the toilet in a bedpan and they think, oh, well, when I'm healthy, I'll no longer eat and I'll no longer use the toilet. But no, they'll do those things in a healthy state. So one who's thinking that all their miseries are just due to the fact that they're in the material nature, they want to remove themselves from the material nature. They want to go uh, geographically uh, to another place where there's no suffering. We, we see this attitude of people who are on this earth in difficult situations. Like there's, uh, at this time, there's a huge exodus of war refugees from Syria, especially to the Western European countries. And this is the mood. Well, I'm in a place of suffering. I'm in a place of war and, and poverty. I have no home. I have no food. I have no job. Let me go to a better place. Let me move my body geographically to a better place. So this idea of liberation is something like that. Let me simply go to another place. And the, there's some truth to this, obviously. But at the same time, that's not really hitting the cause of suffering because it's just like a prisoner saying, let me just get out of the prison without realizing that if they don't change their mentality, they're going to come back. And therefore we say, Avasuddha Buddha, those who want to merge with the Supreme, uh, their consciousness is not pure. And their likelihood is that they'll simply fall back down. Just like the prisoner who just moves their body out of the prison, the likelihood is that they will reoffend and that they will end up back in the prison. So the, the next cause of suffering is to simply say, well, there is no suffering. And that's the mood of the verse today. There is no suffering. It's not really happening. It's not really happening. Just like you can't possibly see your own head cut off. Upadrista. You are the, the higher seer. This word upadrista is sometimes used to indicate God, the super soul, the super seer, the super, we use the word in English, supervisor, supervision, one who is seeing above. But the soul is also a, an upadrista. Kshetra jam chapimam vidhi sarvakshetra shubharacha kshetra kshetra kayargyanam yatajgyanam matamama. So there's two seers of this field, and one is the soul, and one is the Lord. So we are simply seeing this happening, but it's not real. 
it's not real just like it's not real to see your head cut off. So all of the suffering that's happening in the world is not real. Now, of course, there's two views of this not real. One view of this not real is that of Sankaracharya, who says that it's not happening at all, on any level whatsoever. That we are all simply Brahman, Sarvakalamidam Brahma, we are all Brahma, and this, it just isn't even happening. Of course, the problem with saying that, which is the view of the Buddhist also, and Buddhists are gaining in great popularity throughout the world today, the problem with saying that is that, well, what is it that makes us think that it's happening? I mean, when suffering is happening, it certainly seems very real. You know, all I have to do is bang my toe hard on a piece of furniture, and wow, you know, that seems real. <laughs> Cut my finger in the kitchen, and it, it seems real. Or someone says, you're a terrible person, and the suffering seems very real. Well, I mean, it's not happening. What, what is the energy that's making us think that it's happening? Uh, well, that got to be an e- different energy from Brahman itself, because Brahman itself is all knowledge and bliss, Satchitananda. So then immediately you have dualism. Immediately you have two, Brahman and energy, because the Sankaracharya claims that Brahman has no qualities. Brahman has no energies. So if Brahman has no energies, what covers a part of Brahman if there's only Brahman? So on, on that level, his philosophy is, is, is nonsensical. It's not a coherent philosophy. It doesn't fit together. Somehow there's two, but there's not two. There's the energy of Maya, but the energy of Maya doesn't really exist. Well, how do I experience it as existing? So the Vaishnavas have a different tact. They say it exists, but what it is is an illusion. Maya means that which is not. The illusion is the form in which it exists. So just like a dream. A dream has some reality. There's something happening. There's electrical impulses happening within the brain. There's movements of the subtle body. Something is happening. But what is happening and what appears to be happening are not the same. So it appears in the dream that, you know, some bad guy is chasing you with a gun. It appears in the dream that you're eating a feast. It appears in the dream that you found the love of your life, whatever. It appears in the dream, but that is not happening. You know, I can dream that I go to your house for dinner, but if I call you up the next day and said, hey, that was a great dinner, you'll say, what were you told? What are you talking about? I didn't have dinner with you. So I didn't actually have dinner with you, but something was happening. And the Shastra generally has this comparison to dreams. I think in the modern day we can have a comparison to film or movies or um, computer games. So in the movie you have the, the lights are playing on the screen. Like the three lights are playing on the screen. So that's really what's happening. And nothing is happening beyond that. Right? Even if it's a 3D movie where it appears that the, the creatures in the movie are jumping out of the screen at you. I remember my mother took the kids to see this 3D movie you know, about American history and the water was jumping out of the screen at us. But really it's not. It's just a flat screen with three lights playing on it. Or you could say uh, it's a recording of actors. So something's happening, but it's not what it appears to be. It's not the people are not really doing... First of all, there's, they're not really those people. It's not really Napoleon. It's not really, you know, the Queen of England. It's just an actor. 
who's dressed up like that. It's not really a dinosaur, you know, it's just something computer-generated. And it's not even really the actors. When you're seeing a film, the actors are not there, they're someplace else, doing something else. It's really just lights on the screen. But something is happening. You, you, we don't say that nothing is happening. So There's something happening. And what's happening in our suffering is the modes of material nature are combining like the lights on a screen to create a story for us. And we are the Upadrista. We are the observer. We are observing this. And the reason that we suffer is that in our observation of it, we become overwhelmed in attachment. Because we want, as Prabhupada says in this purport, to be the lord of matter. Therefore, as matter is playing, we, we are trying to lord it over. Just like uh, Sadaputta's analogy of the computer game. So if you see someone playing a computer game, they, be, they become, want to master it. Or a board game even, but I think a computer game is a little more engaging. But even, even a board game, you identify with your little piece, right? You're moving pieces on the board and it's a little piece of wood, a little piece of plastic. But that becomes you moving on the board. Like, like a child. A child takes uh, some object. A child takes a little toy rabbit and says, this is me. And then they take, you know, a little toy horse and they say, this is mommy. <laughs> Mommy and me are walking down the street, and, and we're doing that. We're taking a little toy piece in a game, a, a, a created character in a computer game. Oh, this is me. And you'll see people are in there playing games when something happens to their... Oh, oh, no, i got to move back five spaces. Oh. Sometimes when people lose a game, they become furious. We have, you know, out in the world for the sporting games... Sometimes after a game, people are setting fire to their city. They're burning cars. They're stealing. They're looting. I mean, you know, it's a game. <laughs> so this is the view of this verse. So what does one do to counteract this misery is one becomes absorbed in the reality. One absorbs one's consciousness in the reality. Simply getting detached from the game is not sufficient because, because we want variety, we want relationships, we want excitement, we want rasa, we want pleasure. So simply to merge with the supreme or go into a void or become nothing, which is not really possible anyway, doesn't solve the problem. Oh, I'm just going to be a detached observer. You know, I'm just not going to care. People say this in ordinary life when they're upset. Well, I don't care. I just don't care. I don't care what you think. I don't care what's going on. And then, you know, half an hour later, they care. <laughs> and so we want to be absorbed in the reality. We want to be absorbed in Krishna's pastimes. We want to awaken our real identity. Prabhupada says in teachings of Lord Chaitanya in the second to last chapter, he says, without awakening our real identity, we cannot contemplate the spiritual activities. Why? Because we have to contemplate them from our viewpoint. We have to contemplate them from who we are. Otherwise, one is contemplating Krishna's activities the way the demigods do when Krishna incarnates. They just they contemplate as, as an observer in a, uh, of a play, kind of. But that's not, we want to be in it. We want to be in the Leela. We don't want to be just observers of the Leela. We want to contemplate the Leela from our real position. 
So this is the Vaishnava's actual cure. You know, turn off your computer and come join the family, basically. So there's, there's an advertisement for some device. The, the mother wants to call everybody for dinner, but they're all on their tablets, their phone, and the computer, so she just flicks this switch that interferes with all the Wi-Fi in the house, and then everyone has to come to dinner and interact with each other. So this is the real cure. You know, you're absorbed in your computer game. Oh, I'm, I'm winning, I'm winning. Oh, I'm losing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, mother and father, Radha and Krishna, they're calling us. All right, Lord Chaitanya, jeev jago, jeev jago. Wake up, wake up. Wake up. Turn off your game. Or, you know, you're, you're sitting in the room, sleeping. Okay? You're sitting in the room, sleeping. Sometimes it's like that. Right? You're with a group of people and somebody's fallen asleep. Wake up, wake up. Join the, the real group. So join our real family. Go, go to our real community. Go to our real activities. And that's the ultimate understanding. And of course that waking up happens gradually. And as it happens gradually, one's suffering also gradually diminishes because one sees more and more this is not really happening to me, and what appears to be happening is not what's really happening. Other explanations of suffering is that it's due to our karma. So this explanation is talking about within the illusion. So within the illusion, the reason particular people have particular kinds of suffering is due to their particular activities. And Krishna is very intelligent, so one doesn't get suffering beyond one's due. It's not that, well, just because there's laws of material nature, I'm going to suffer something beyond my karma. No, it's not a fact. And we see that there can be some catastrophe. You know, a building can burn down, and one person dies, one person is severely burned, and one person is untouched. Right? There's a car accident, one person has no uh, result at all. No injury, and another person is crippled for life, and so forth. So just because the laws of nature are generally acting, how they act on a particular person is due to their particular activities. Now, if that's the only way we see suffering, then the solution is to try to have good karma. Of course, that's a little tricky, like King Riga tried to have good karma, but just because he made a mistake, and therefore he also had some bad reaction. So if one says, I will stay in the world, and I will just figure out all the rules of how the, all the subtle rules of how the world works. Right? Those who say that we're suffering due to the general laws of nature, they try to either get liberation or they try to figure out how the general laws work. They become materialistic scientists and they try to, you know, through medicine and through agriculture and so forth and so on, they try to change the way the general laws of nature work. Those who understand the subtle laws, they try to gain that system. So someone tries to game the system of the gross laws acting on everybody or the subtle laws acting on themselves, uh, but we don't win. First of all, we stay within the general material illusion of suffering, even if one goes, I was just hearing in the second canto, that on the planet of Lord Brahma, the only suffering is some slight feeling of compassion for those on a lower level. And... You know, even if one goes there, Abrahma Bhuvanaloka Punaravartin Orjuna Mamupecha Punarjana Punarjanmana Vijitan. 
So we don't recommend karmakanda, just trying to be a good person. Of course, the devotees do try to be a good person. Magrari, the hunter, didn't want to hurt an ant. Being a good person is part of yoga, yama and niyam. Certainly, we try to get, be a good person. We try to be truthful, uh, not steal, not uh, have right, no illicit sex, no intoxication, no meat eating, no gambling, so forth. And there's the ten items listed for human beings, the process of knowledge is listed. Actually, I'm not sure if it's ten. It's listed in the tenth verse of Ishopanishad and in the uh, Bhagavad Gita, chapter 13. I think it's text 8 through 12. So this is the items of knowledge which lists good behavior and good ethics. But that doesn't save one from ultimate suffering. One is still in the prison. One's still in an artificial condition. One may become a first-class prisoner, but it's not the solution. It's not the ultimate solution. Although, you know, if you have really good karma, your suffering in the world is very slight. And then another explanation of suffering is that it's just God's will. So religious systems that don't understand the philosophy of illusion and religious systems that do not understand the philosophy of karma and reincarnation generally give this explanation. It's just the will of God. And you find many devotees also speak like that, that whenever something bad, oh, it's Krishna's mercy, oh, it's my purification, and, and so forth. And, well, this, this bad thing was necessary for me to come to a higher place. Uh, yes, in one sense it's God's will, like it's the will of the government to put the prisoners in prison, but it's not really the desire of the government to put the prisoners in prison. Uh, just like if we have some disease, we go to a doctor, and the doctor may do some procedure or give some medicine, which in and of itself causes pain. You know, so you've, you've fallen, you've broken your arm, and the doctor does some surgery, and there's pain from the surgery itself. So at least temporarily, the surgery adds to the pain. There's some, you know, cut in the skin to enter into the body and, and so forth, and this causes pain. So you could say the pain is caused by the doctor. It's the will of the doctor that there's pain. But the doctor is only causing pain because there was some problem in us. Doctors don't go, at least we hope, <laughs> don't go to healthy people and just start cutting them open. And doctors don't go to healthy people and just and give them medicine that has terrible side effects. You know, sometimes there's some, I was reading about a man who had a really terrible disease, and there's a, a medicine that helps him also has severe side effects, so he has to be monitored all the time for the side effects. So you don't want to give this terrible medicine to somebody who has no problem. I mean, he says, oh, I'm so grateful. My disease was so bad. Now it's completely under control. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to live with the, with the side effects. It's the mercy, he says, the mercy of the doctors, the mercy of modern medicine, that I have this medicine that gives me these side effects because it has put my disease under control. So in that sense, yes, it's Krishna's mercy. Certainly, our suffering is the mercy of the Lord and the will of the Lord. But, again, it's not that the Lord wills anyone to suffer. We could say, well, what about the pure devotees who apparently go through suffering? I mean, the suffering of the Pandavas. Uh, Bhishma on his deathbed was going on and on about the suffering of the Pandavas. How is this possible? And Krishna's right there, you know, so Bhishma doesn't say, well, it's him. Krishna, Bhishma said it's due to Kala, it's due to time. But, of course, who is Kala? Kala is Krishna. Now, for the pure devotees... 
who are going through suffering. It's quite a different experience because they're here to have fun. They're here for the Lord's Leela. And their apparent suffering is simply part of an adventure. They, they, they are in a different, completely different state of consciousness. And they are not trying to enjoy anything of the world, therefore they're not attached to anything of the world. And for them, as Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, the difficulties I undergo in your service are my great happiness. So that's a, a quite a different consciousness. So no matter how we look at it, if we say, let's go through our list again briefly, if we say it's inscrutable, we can't understand it, our solution is to come to a state of consciousness where we can understand it. And that state of consciousness is our original position as Jivara Swarupaya Krishnarinitya Dasa. If we say the cause is the laws of material nature, and then we want to gain the perspective that material nature, Durga Devi, is Krishna's servant. She's Vaishnavi. Uh, so she will not punish us like that. If we say that the cause, like today's verse, that it doesn't really exist. Uh, it, it's fascinating to me that it says, Artena Vina, it has no meaning. The main thing human beings want to get is, what is the meaning behind my suffering? And Bhagavatam says, tough luck, buddy. There's no meaning. There's no meaning to it at all. It's just like there's no meaning to the, to a, the suffering in a movie or a dream. It has no meaning. So our solution there is to come to the world of meaning, not to try to skew some meaning out of our suffering in the world. Oh, well, I got this suffering because this means this, and it means... No. Artabina. It doesn't mean anything. Let me go to the world where there's real meaning. Let me become absorbed in my real identification. All my suffering is due to false identification. If we say it's karma, then perform a karma. Don't try to do good karma, but try to do a karma. Do activities that don't generate karma. Tolerate the winding down of one's previous karma, and don't create any new karma. Engage in activities, yagnartat karmano natra, loko yam karma bandana taratam karma kantaya mukta sangastamacha. And if we say it's God's will that we're suffering, why don't we be in harmony with God's real will? You know, no normal parent wants to punish a child. That's not their will. You can say, oh, they're choosing to punish. Yeah, but that's in response to the child's misbehavior. Their desire is not to punish their desire is that the child cooperates without punishment. So let us find the real will of God. Therefore, no matter how one looks at the cause of suffering, no matter how one identifies the cause of suffering, the solution comes down to the same thing. Become a servant of God in our particular individual identity. Awaken our real identity. And how do we do that? We do that primarily in bhakti yoga through hearing and chanting. Of course, does any of the nine processes of devotional service there are 64 angas of bhakti. There are so many ways of doing that. But that is what we're trying to do. And if we're not trying to do that, then it's not really bhakti. We want to awaken our identity. We want to be absorbed in the reality from the position of our identity. And that should be the mood, whether we're in Vrindavan for Kartik, uh, whether we're in Antarctica for Kartik, whether <laughs> whatever, whether we're a sannyasi, whether we're a grahasta, whether we don't know what we are, you know, <laughs> Whether we're a Brahmin, Kshatriya, or we don't know what we are, whether we're male or female, or black or white, or purple, or whatever, 
Now, this is what we need to do, develop our real identity, absorbed in chanting and hearing. As Bhaktivinoda says, whether you're in the forest, whether you're at home, whether you're a householder, whether you're not, become absorbed, leave that. I am not any of these things. Sarvapad, even your muktam, tadparatena, your malarishikesha, rishikena, sevan, and bhakti richite. Let me become reconnected, not merging into the Supreme, as Prabhupada cautions us in this, in this purport. Not merging into the Supreme, but as a servant of the Supreme. And whatever we're doing, our chanting, our hearing, our remembering, as a servant of the Supreme. So thank you very much. Questions, comments? Well, I think you can ask the first one at least. Oh, that's just real quick. The, the brilliant class. The, those six reasons that you've given, is there one place you can go to to find them all? Like, yeah, when Dharma the Bull is speaking to Maharaj Brickett. Really? That's where it is. Yep. Amazing. Some people say this, some people say this, some people say this. Wow. That's amazing. I've read that several times. I've never got that much out of it. And of course, they're found throughout the Shastra. I mean, just like this particular verse is giving the concept that it's not really happening. And and then Srila Prabhupada is cautioning us against an impersonal interpretation of that in his purport. So that's the focus here. But different verses will have a different focus. So some sections of the Shastra focus on just one of them. Other other sections. But Dharma the Bull mentions all of them. Hi Krishna Mother Armala. Hi Krishna. I have a question about suffering. Yeah, don't we? Um, yes, <laughs> yes. You know, there's, when I think about suffering, there's like small sufferings, but yet there's also sufferings in extremely larger scales. Yes. Like, yes. for example, a child that has been abused by their, their parents. I mean, physically or whatever, abused totally. I have a few friends like this, that up to the adulthood, it is so deep in their cell memory that if they come close to either a, a male or a woman, it depends who in their family abused them, they react in a certain way. Yes. Or um, if a woman or a man has had so many uh, husbands or wives that cheated on them, so then, you know, you, you understand what my my uh, where I'm getting with this. This yes. is, you know. There's some really heavy sufferings like this. So how do we, you know, I understand about tolerating, and but how do we get to the point where we can get get that out of us? Because it's just well, there the ultimate solution, like hard, hard, the hard-hearted ultimate solution and, is and to be absorbed in Krishna's pastimes. That's the ultimate solution. Materially, there are various kinds of psychotherapy that can help with those things. I mean, there, there are. And, you know, I'm, I'm trained in some of those therapies. So, materially speaking, people can go through therapies that heal them of even tremendous trauma. And we should also mention that such therapies tend to be very cultural-specific. So, certain cultures, people from certain cultures are 
going to be more into certain material psychotherapies than others. And people from different cultures deal with great suffering in very different ways. So in some cultures, you know, you're in the middle of a war and there's a bullet in your neck and you're just sitting quietly waiting for the doctor. <laughs> and in other cultures, you're, you're screaming and you need to have some painkiller while you're waiting for the doctor. And that's, that's cultural conditioning. So there are temporary psychotherapies to help with trauma. And those have their, their place. They have their value as much as gross medicine has its value. If somebody has a broken limb and you put a cast on it, and uh, we devotees avail ourselves of both. I mean, I think there was a time in the Hare Krishna movement when we felt that if you're a devotee, you don't avail yourself of any kind of psychological treatment. Yeah. But uh, that's really kind of silly. Just like right now as we're speaking, Makrinda Maharaj is recovering from two surgeries, one after another, uh, I think a triple heart bypass and then uh, mm -hmm. hip repair. And, you know, that's fine. We say, yeah, no matter how great of a devotee you are, if there's something in the body breaks, then you can get some sort of surgery or some sort of medicine. And, but frankly, it's the same with the subtle body. If there's something broken in the subtle body, there's, you can do therapies for trauma. There are therapies for post-traumatic stress syndrome. There are therapies for phobias and so forth. Again, I want to caution, they have to be culturally specific in their application. But the real ultimate cure, and not saying that these temporary mundane cures have no value. That is not what we're saying. They have some value. They have some utilization. But the real thing is to become absorbed in the pastimes of the Lord. So just as a very simple example, there's one devotee I know who has gone through terrible, terrible trauma in her life. So she was sexually molested over a long period of time um, by a parent. And then she was also raped by many different men as she was growing up. I mean, just this long, long, long history of sexual abuse. And then we were in it. We were in a temple. I happened to be in the same temple where this person lived, and there was a woman who gave a class and who was speaking in her class about how if women are raped, it's their fault. Yeah. That one of these, you know, blame them. And she's sitting on the Vyasasan and she's saying this. She says, if a woman gets raped or if a woman gets beaten, it's because she hasn't been a proper Vedic woman, and it, you know, it's completely her fault. So this. This lady devotee, who'd already lived through all this trauma in her life, was again traumatized by this class. And became so traumatized by this class that she was, basically wasn't able to function. So she came to me and, and asked me to help her. And, and first I started, you know, just using ordinary uh, psychological therapies in which I'm certified and, and working with her in that way. And, and we just weren't really making any progress. And the, the main block that she had is she said, but this is a devotee. You know, this is a devotee. And this, she said, okay, I can accept that, you know, my, my father and these other men in my life, and it was due to my karma. And I, I, okay, I accept that. And I can forgive and I can let it go. She said, but this is a devotee. And, you know, and I'm now a devotee, and a devotee's doing this to me. And, so we ended up talking about, well, where in the Shastra do we find this? 
And we went to the Govardhan Lila, where Indra's a devotee. He's definitely a devotee, and uh, frankly, Indra's a much better devotee than I am. I mean, Krishna hasn't put me in charge of the demigods of the universe. You know, he, he's a lot more qualified in so many ways than I am. He's a, he's a very great devotee, Indra, I and mean, we shouldn't denigrate someone like Indra. At the same time, he was committing such intense Vaishnava Aparad that he was trying to destroy Vrindavan. He was trying to kill everyone in Vrindavan, kill all the cows. You know, I, I've met a lot of devotees who are offensive and, and very intensely offensive, but I've never met anyone who's that offensive. I've never met a devotee who said, I'm going to kill all the devotees in the temple and destroy, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get a wrecking ball and destroy the building and set fire to the building. I'm going to flood the building and kill everybody in it. I, I haven't met anybody like that. So, you know, Indra was, and, and I've met some pretty offensive devotees, you know, like really offensive devotees, but nobody on that, nobody that level. So Indra was on that level. That's what he was doing. Okay, and so we started talking about the pastime, and we started talking about the pastime from the view of Mother Yasoda. Our Krishna Kshetramaraj does exercises like this, where he has the devotees uh, meditate on different pastimes from the view of a participant in the pastimes. So we took the view of, of, one of, of Mother Yasoda or Mother Yasoda's friends, and how are they feeling that Indra is attacking their beloved Krishna? Because that was also how this devotee lady was thinking, you know, how is it that this preacher is doing this harm to the other devotees and harm to Iskhan and harm to Krishna consciousness with this preacher? And we started talking more and more and more about Govardhan Lila and more and more of the view of Mother Yasoda. And as we got deeper and deeper and deeper into our discussion of the Lila, uh, we, we really became absorbed in the Leela. As we did that, all of her suffering and trauma melted away. It just completely melted away. It hasn't come back. And, and as we finished our discussion, we were walking to breakfast for Sodom. We looked at each other and said, you know, we're, we're not these bodies and we're not part of this world. We're part of the transcendental world. And, you know, we're... Neither she or I are some kind of, it's not that we're some kind of, you know, prema bhaktas or something, but just from a discussion of Krishna's lila and getting absorbed in the mood of Krishna's lila, we were able to heal that trauma. And I found such to be the case many times, that if, if you really become absorbed in Krishna's name, Krishna's form, Krishna's quality, Krishna's pastimes, actually absorbed, not in a superficial way, but in deep absorption into the mood of the Leela, that then the traumas of the world become washed away. Because the traumas of the world haven't really happened to us. Now, if you just say that theoretically, it doesn't really do any good at all. In fact, it's just annoying. In, you know, it's just annoying. Someone's insulting you, and some, or someone's hitting you, or whatever. Well, this isn't really happening to you. It, that, that's, it's just annoying. But if you become absorbed in the reality, then it's, it's experienced. It becomes It becomes a practical experience. And when I was very, very, a very new beginner, not that I'm anything but that, but I mean, as far as time goes, when I was first come to the Krishna consciousness movement, 
uh, after just a few weeks of living in the ashram, I became quite ill. In fact, the doctor said that if I hadn't gotten to the hospital when I did, I, I wouldn't have been long in this body. And at one point in my illness, I was listening to a lecture with Prabhupada. And while listening to this lecture, I fell asleep. And in my dream, the pastimes he was talking about, which also uh, just coincidentally happened to be about Mother Yasoda, uh, became, uh, I started dreaming about them as if I was actually in those pastimes. And when I awoke, I, I felt completely detached, although my body was in severe pain and fever and so forth. I, I felt very detached from that. And this, this is a very practical experience. It's a very practical experience. You know, we, we go to a kirtan. If we're really absorbed in the kirtan, everything is forgotten. You know, everything. The, the, the unpaid bills, the nasty boss, the fight with the <laughs> wife, and you know, somebody cheated on me 20 years ago. It, it, it's, it's gone. At least for the duration of the kirtan, it's gone. You know, then it kind of floods back on you. That's, that should be our absorption. That, that's our ultimate cure. Anybody? Yeah, I would like to ask an important question. Here. Yes, please. Now, I like your approach, and obviously it worked. And, yeah, that is a striking example, Indra attacking the bridge bosses. That's a great place to go. But... Flipping this to the other side, let's say this lady is um, in distraught because something was said in a class. Right. Why not go to the other side where, as Westerners with deep samskaras, uh, among them pride and callousness, where, you know, some devotees are not acting um, like devotees, and sometimes could we say they don't know something fully that they, you know, might uh, be oversimplifying something, or they're saying something that is not necessarily, sh- you know, Sadhu Shastra and Guru. They're just going off into some tangent. Mm-hmm. So why is that taboo? Taboo? Why oh, can't we just all. disqualify? In fact, we did yeah. that. Well, we tried that. You know, I we, I tried right. with her. I tried all that. I tried um, first just doing that. Well, this is just some you know somewhat immature person, and you know it, that's all. We we also even tried externally talking to the other authorities about it and we, we tried all those things but that didn't pacify her heart it didn't make you know when you've had deep some scars of trauma in your life I think for me uh, where at least in this life I've never been sexually abused I've been, I've been physically abused but I've been sexually abused so for me to hear that women are responsible for being raped I just like thinking, what a fool. You know, that's, that's my response. I thought, well, on a, on a deep karmic level, that's true. But what a foolish thing to say. You know, what an idiotic, foolish thing to say. And what a harmful thing to say. And this should be stopped. And I said something to the authorities. But it didn't traumatize me emotionally because it didn't resonate with anything in my experience. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So, so for me, that response was sufficient. I didn't need any more response. I didn't even need any kind of, you know, material psychotherapy to deal with it. It was, it was simple. But for somebody who had these deep, repeated, long-term experiences, that was helpful. It's not that it wasn't helpful, but it wasn't enough. It, it, it really wasn't enough. And we had to... It's not that we didn't do those things. We did those things. But my personal lesson from solving the problem with this with this woman by both of us entering into the mood of the Lila is that that's the only ultimate solution for anybody. That even for me in that circumstance where I wasn't traumatized, I was annoyed and I was angry and I felt it was something that needed to be solved but I wasn't it wasn't traumatic to me. Even for me, entering into that the mood and the meditation on the Lila provided a full healing and a, a, a completely different perspective. Because if you just go into the other, even if you, you're not a trauma victim, there's always a risk, like Dharma the Bull says, that if you name the perpetrator, you become as guilty as the perpetrator. And so there's always a risk of them becoming so critical of the person who said this or the person who did this, and that becomes your whole mood. And your mood then becomes, well, I'm going to attack the person who says this, and I'm going to make sure they don't sit in the house's time anymore or whatever. You know, you, you get into a whole angry, vengeful mood. Whereas when you become absorbed in the Leela and you think about how did the residents of Vrindavan feel about Indra? Now their feelings about Indra were about how Indra was hurting Krishna. It was very Krishna-centered. And how, 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 how Indra was harming the devotees, which would make Krishna feel bad. Like Balaram says to Krishna, this is in Nanda Vrindavan Champu, Balaram says to Krishna, and Krishna's in the coils of Kaliya, he says, your devotees will die. He said, if you don't get out of the coils of Kaliya, all these devotees will die, and if they die, your own heart will be broken. These are your very dear devotees. So the devotees are thinking, if Indra destroys Vrindavan, Krishna will be so sad, this is his place. If Indra kills all the devotees, Krishna will be so sad. This is his place. This is his friends. My, my wonderful Krishna, my wonderful Krishna. And the reason that we pick the, the view of the Soda Nanda is that they have this very protective view of Krishna. They're trying to protect Krishna. And that was our mood with this, this woman's class, was we were thinking, how are we going to protect the devotees? How are we going to protect the society? And Krishna, of course, forgives Indra, and, and not only does he forgive him, oh my God, he reinstates him. He, he doesn't even take him down from his position, which I'm sure we would do. But Krishna doesn't do that. He keeps him in his position. And it's, it's Leela. Ultimately, it's Leela, and, and the lesson is pride. Yes, exactly. And, and so, yeah, no, these things aren't taboo. I mean... 
all of those things can also be done. Doing some psychoanalytic treatment for the trauma, that can be done. Going to a doctor and taking some medicine, that can be done. Looking at things from a a sociological, managerial perspective. And, and as I said, we did all those. You know, we wrote a letter to the GBC, we talked to the temple president, and we definitely did all that. You know, we had somebody who recorded the class. We took a, a clip of that particular part of the class. We sent it to the GBC, uh, who, by the way, didn't take anything seriously or take any action on the matter. So we, we did all that. But as far as our own heart, as far as our own experience of suffering, we found it could only be fully pacified if we if we went into into the pers- for the perspective of of our real identity, our real home, our you know, and and Krishna on a very deep level. We had to we had to go into the reality in order to see I mean, immediately it was it was fascinating. Immediately we saw oh this is all an illusion. It's, it's, it's not it's not who we are. Is that alright? Yeah that's good. Everything is harmonized in Krishna Leela. Everything. 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 Anybody else? We could take one more. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Yes. Uh, well, theoretically, we know that pain isn't real. I mean, it's really not affecting the soul. It's kind of like dreaming. But yet at the same time, in, in the relative world, sure as heck feels real. And if, if pain is terrible. Just like in the old days before there was anesthesia, they had the saying, you know, bite the bullet. I think literally they would pull it in the old Western days. Yeah. Someone would put a bullet between their teeth and they would... Because there was no anesthetic involved and and they came up with the first types of, of anesthetics that were... You know, it's just incredible. It's such so so effective and, and made it so much more uh, tolerable. Uh, why couldn't Krishna uh, purify us in such a way that the pain doesn't have to be so great? Again, you know, albeit not real and, and illusory pain from an absolute standpoint. Um, because like a mother, for example, who loses a child, and I'll never understand what that must be like, how incredibly painful it is. There was one devotee, nice devotee lady, that was here serving in Hawaii. Her daughter was shot at point blank Whoa. as a teenager. I mean, I, I can't imagine what what she was experiencing, what 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 torment, the pain that she, you know, greater than any physical pain. Couldn't Krishna? You may not have an answer to this, but I thought I'd throw it out there. Krishna couldn't couldn't Krishna purify us in such a way with a little more, a little more anesthetic, so the pain isn't so great. Sure. Does that really of have course. to be there? No. Doesn't have to be there at all. First of all, you can take birth on the higher planets where they have very very low amounts of pain of any kind—physical, mm-hmm. mental, 
And there's no rule that you have to come take birth on the earth planet. Prabhupada says our first birth is as Lord Brahma. Bhagavatam says that on Lord Brahma's planet, there is, from our perspective, there's no suffering. From the perspective of the spiritual world, there's suffering. But there's kind of an existential suffering in Brahma's planet. But from our perspective, they have no suffering. They have some feelings of compassion for those uh, who are suffering, which in, this, in Vaikuntha, that isn't even there. In Vaikuntha, there's not a sense of compassion for those, and they're just absorbed in Malila. <laughs> you know, they're they're not really that's that's not their their mood. So, if it is their mood, then they come and they preach. So, the Lord Brahma has you know a little bit of that, and then even on the higher planets, like you have the planet of the four Kumaras, which is below Lord Brahma's planet. They're always absorbed in meditation on the Paramatma. They're not experiencing anything that we would call pain at all. So one can can do that. You can take one birth as Lord Brahma and then go to, go back to Godhead. There's no rule that you have to go through all the species of life or that you have to come to the earth planet. There's no rule like that. So that's... Krishna has arranged the material world so that even for a materially conditioned soul in illusion, they can have... Uh, they can stay here forever up on the higher planets if they so choose. There, you're, no one's forcing anybody to take birth as an animal or take birth as a human or to take birth in Kali Yuga. And that's not the force of the Lord. Even on the earth planet, in the other yugas, people are, they know how to deal with suffering. There's not nearly as much even, even pain on that level. I mean, we read about the fighters in the battle and the wounds that they experience and they go on fighting. I mean, they're able to deal with that. Now, even as a human being in Kali Yuga, we have the capacity of changing our consciousness. So we're experiencing pain according to our level of attachment. Pain is not something objective. It is not something objective. Pain is entirely subjective. There's a, I, I've had a tremendous amount of physical pain in my life, and there's, there's a book I read some time ago about pain and chronic pain, and it was saying that no one has found any area of the brain that deals with pain. There, there's no objective medical explanation. It said, where is pain? Somewhere next to beauty. You know, our perception of beauty, our perception of pain. It's entirely a matter of perception. Entirely a matter of perception. It is entirely a matter of perception. And it's something that we do have a lot of control over whether or not and how we decide to perceive pain. The problem is you cannot enjoy the pleasures of the body and then turn off the perceptions of the pain. That's what we want to do. That you cannot do. If you want to... uh, turn down or turn off the perceptions of the pain, you also have to turn down or turn off the perceptions of the pleasure and the perceptions of the doer. And because we're an undemani biasat, we don't want to do that, and therefore we suffer. Therefore, our solution is to be absorbed in the pleasures of the Lord and His name, form, qualities, and pastimes. But I think, you know, it's, it's like saying, I give this example all the time, so I'm, I'm, in a, I'm sitting in a room right now, and this room has walls and it has doors, So the person who designed this room, the person who built this room, the person who created the building materials for the room, etc., they did not create them to cause pain. If I choose to walk through the wall instead of walking through the door, there's no fault in the architect or in the builder for my experience of pain. 
Absolutely not. So Krishna's designed the world. This question is asked in the seventh canto. Why does it appear that Krishna favors the demigods? Krishna is supposed to be equal to all. And I think it's the same question. Krishna appears to be equal to all. Why do some jivas have a body where this, virtually, you know, literally, practically speaking, there's virtually no pain, basically. And other living entities have a body where there's only pain. I mean, I know of people who have 24-7 pain. So why is that? Is he partial? And the answer given by Sukadeva Goswami is that, no, the Lord is impartial, but everything favors the mode of goodness. And everything favors the mode of goodness. The word goodness also means truth. So there's no partiality as far as the, the room that you're in. It's not, it's not a question of partiality, whether you walk through the door or you walk through the, try to walk through the wall. If you act in harmony with truth, if you act in harmony with how the room is constructed, you will not feel pain. If you act out of harmony with how the, the room is constructed, you will feel pain. And it's a, it's a scale. It's a gradual thing. To whatever extent you act in harmony with truth, to that extent you do not experience pain. To whatever extent you act out of harmony with truth, to that extent you do not experience pain. And this is... So Krishna has made, Krishna has designed reality, ultimate reality, and even this illusion that the more that you function in reality, the less you suffer, and the less you function in reality, the more you suffer. But the suffering is not exactly a punishment. We can categorize it that way. We can say getting a bruise is a punishment for walking into the wall. But it's, it's really just a natural consequence of acting out of harmony with what's true and what's real. It's not exactly a punishment. It's not exactly like, I don't like what you did. You know, a punishment is, I don't like what you did, therefore I'm going to use my power to make you suffer. It's not exactly like that. It's like you're choosing to do something that's not real. You're choosing to do something that's not the way that reality is designed. And because you choose to do that, therefore you experience something which you subjectively understand as pain. So a lot of what you're saying, we're causing ourselves. You give the example of the room. You can either choose to walk through the door or walk into the wall. That's your choice. Yes. Um, but at the same time, Krishna does, in fact, put things within this world intentionally meant to cause distress, like birth, death, old age, and disease. Well, you know, those are also natural results of our desires. Because I have so many different kinds of desires, therefore I need so many different kinds of bodies. And without some system of forgetfulness and retraining, I can't experience that. Mm. I can't have, you know, so-and-so as my husband in one life and my father in another life without some cleansing of identity. Mm. And that cleansing of identity, it has to be pretty traumatic. Mm. You know, and... No, this is, we're doing this. We're doing it completely. Now, of course, having said that, it's like if somebody chooses to drink alcohol or take some drug, they do have to wait some time for the effect to wear off. You know, if, if somebody takes some drug or drinks some alcohol, 
that drug or alcohol causes them to suffer and causes them to do all kinds of crazy things. But once they're under the influence of the drug, they can't just will and say, I will for this not to affect me. Of course, they can if they're a yogi. But otherwise, they have to tolerate until it goes away. So that's the Tatenu Kampam Sukshamikshamana. That as I'm reviving my consciousness, the effects of my doing false things are winding down but the effects are still there. Now, if I continue to do false things, then I continue to feed it. So if, if while I'm engaged in Krishna consciousness, I'm simultaneously trying to enjoy the world in illusion, then the process is going to take a very long time if I pour water on my fire while I'm trying to ignite it. But if I'm just working on igniting the fire, you know, or I've unplugged the fan, we have these analogies. And then the the response, you know, if I already walked into the wall, if I walked into the wall at 10 this morning, I may still have some pain at 11, even though at 11 I've understood my mistake. And I'm not walking through the wall anymore. There may still be some residual bruise and, and healing and time. So generally it is like that. It is possible to have a total instantaneous awakening but that's very unusual. Maharaj Kadvanga did that. Uh, the son of Maharaj Prataparudra did that. But generally it's not a sudden instantaneous awakening because we're attached and we don't want to have a sudden instantaneous awakening, frankly. So generally it's gradual and there's something residual. But even how we experience that residual stuff, even our experience of that is to a large extent under our control. You know, it, it just is. I mean, sorry. <laughs> uh, but it is. You're talking about someone who has their child die. There's a, I'll, I'll end with this. There's a very famous Jewish story. I don't remember. I'm sorry, the name of the rabbi. It's a true story. Harold uh, Kushner? <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's, a, it's a true story. But there was this very famous rabbi who had two, uh, this is hundreds of years ago, in Europe, and he had two... It's very scholarly, well-behaved, gentlemanly sons, teenage sons. And while he was teaching during the day, while he was out of the home teaching, his sons, both of his sons contracted a disease and died. So he came home and the, the, the sons were dead. And when he came home, his wife greeted him at the door and before telling him that his sons had died, she said, my dear husband, some time ago, a merchant who was traveling through here asked me to keep two jewels uh, while he was on his travels, asked me to keep them for safekeeping until he returned. And today he returned and, and asked for them back. What should I do? And he said, well, of course you have to give them back. So that was, that was their view. There is another, uh, another true story. And this is uh, dealing with a Christian. Again, I don't remember the name. It was a Christian missionary. Very similar kind of story, since you brought up the emotional pain of, of losing a child. So he was a missionary in some third world country. And he had two daughters. His oldest daughter got, um, I think it's cerebral malaria. One of those diseases, again, where you die very quickly. And where there was no cure. So he and his wife are in the room with this girl. I don't I remember how old she was, 12, 13, something like that. 
and they're just praying and praying and praying and praying, you know, please cure her, God, please cure her. They're just, you know, praying their heart out. And finally the wife says, I, I can't even pray anymore. She leaves the room. And the father who's a minister, he's just praying and praying and praying. Meanwhile, it's got, become nighttime and the, the daughter's gone unconscious with a high fever. The doctors say, you know, she has maybe an hour or two left to live. And he looks outside and he looks at the, at the night sky and he says, same thing. He says, Lord, this is not my daughter. This is your child. This is your soul. She belongs to you. You have the right to give her. You have the right to take her. Whatever is your will. I, I am simply your servant. I fully and completely accept your will for her. And all of his anxiety and all of his angst were just gone. He was just washed with peace. Now, this story has a different ending that he turns from the window and his daughter is completely cured. But the, the, the point of both of these stories is that even the severe emotional pain, as Prabhupada quotes in today's purport, Mama Maya Durachaya. Dura, yeah, Durachaya. Yeah, it is. It is Durachaya. But it doesn't end with that. Krishna doesn't end with Durachaya. Mam Evaye Prapadante, Mayam Eptanturantite. And as the demigods pray, the whole ocean becomes like the hoofprint of a calf. So we're not dura- denying the Durachaya. It's hard. When, when one is in the grip of a loot, it is very hard. It is wrenching. It is agonizing. It is torture. It is devastating. Durachaya. But the whole ocean, as big as the Pacific, becomes like a little puddle in the proper consciousness. Thank you very much, Shula Prabhupada. Thank you.